Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Hear Our Voices. So let me get some housekeeping in the way. You can follow us on, sorry for my voice, guys, too. It's, it's been a struggle these past couple of weeks. You, you've been hearing me. It's gotten better, but, you know. So you can follow us on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, and all the information will be down below for us, for you to get in contact with us. I'm not the only person who monitors those um those social medias. So I, I'm on there constantly, but I'm not the only person looking at the information. Our last person we interviewed, Lorda, she also helps me. And we have a person coming up. I'm not going to tell you her name yet, but she also helps me with those adventures. So if you want to get personally to me, you can contact me on my personal um, page. But if you want to get us to anybody who's um lived experience and need information, you could definitely go on the other on our main page and ask a question there. And anybody who gets it will be happy to answer any questions you might have about anything that's coming up. We put going on our Twitter account. We are live on now all the time. I try to do more Instagram things. We're trying. We're trying. <laughs> um, we give out work like people who have work, job fairs, things like that. Is on Twitter different um back to school events so if you follow us on twitter you'll get the most updated information that we have at the moment we have a resource packet that is out already so it should be linked at the bottom of bottom in the description if you have need any resources like food furniture for your house clothes things like that that resource um packet would be great for you so sit back and relax and hopefully enjoy the podcast so today our guest's name is Juan, and he obviously, he's not a person with lived experience, but he's a person who worked with people with lived experience, and he also works with um helping getting the homeless areas kind of more out there, you know, but helping us improve the system. So Juan, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you have done for the homeless sector in New York City? Absolutely. Thank you so much for the invitation, Disha. I'm, I'm really happy to um, be part of um, um, supporting uh, and raising the voices of, you know, uh, those who struggle with homelessness and, you know, in, in an effort to create uh, better opportunities for housing stability for families. Absolutely. So um, I for about three years, um, I worked as a supervisor at Brownsville Home Base. And um, Home Base is a human resource administration funded program that is dedicated to provide assistance for families experiencing housing stability or those who have ex exited shelter. The main goal of Home Base is to prevent shelter re-entry. Um, the uh, Homebase provides prevention services, right? Such as uh, rental arrears assistance, um, city FEPs and FEPs vouchers renewals. Um, also, of, oftentimes when families will need um, transfers, Homebase was also there, it's there to help families with um, the paperwork and advocacy with HRA also. HRA provides um, landlord and tenant advocacy. Oftentimes there's conflict, there's misinformation. So that's where home base um, case managers and supervisors are there to support. Um, home base also 
is also there to provide aftercare services. Aftercare services are basically services that are designed for families who have either exited DHS shelters or have received a voucher in the community. Aftercare services basically means that um, families are provided services, referrals, right, and advocacy to stay in the community, to uh, create links in the community, to for the children to be able to stay in the community and to succeed in the community. Um, of course, um, this uh, home-based offices are provided in different areas in the city where ho homelessness and I would say this, yes, poverty is very, it's concentrated. And I had, my experience at home base um, was very unique. It was life-changing and basically guided my advocacy work. Um, because of my work at home base and what I witnessed and what I saw in policy and what good policy is and what policy, what policies needs to be um, incremented or improved, I, moved into the policy field about two months ago, ago, I started working as a policy associate for housing and income security at Citizens Committee for Children of New York. Um, and um, honestly, having this experience in social service and homelessness guides my work. Um, and I'm, I'm, I feel very grateful and fortunate to have being worked at home base and um, and see the the work that is done and how it can be improved. That sounds wonderful. So, if, in case people haven't listened to our previous messages or podcasts before, how can you go about finding a, po a podcast? How can you go about finding a home base that's close to you that a person can come in and get help to buy? Oh, yeah, great question. Um, so. The way home base works is that families who are the number one eligibility is for families and individuals that are at risk of all you need is a housing crisis, right? right. From that point on, uh, you can either call 311 or just Google home base and right away you'll find the page, uh, uh, home base HRA. And you. the way it works uh, is that you have to go to the home base location that is close to your area. So it, it goes with zip codes. For instance, in Brownsville, if you resided in the 11212 zip code, you would have to go to Brownsville home base, right? Uh, there are several home base offices in Brooklyn, several offices in the Bronx. I believe there are two in, this, in Manhattan and I believe there are three in Queens. So it's very easy, Google a home base, and then you will go to a page and it's sponsored by, by HRA. And you just go for home base location or home base locator. And then you enter, you'll see your zip code in there. And, um, and then you, there are phone numbers. Um, my understanding is that you need to call first. Um, every home base works differently but you would have to call first um, to get an appointment and then be assessed for eligibility. Obviously there are income um, thresholds, you know, for, to assist families. And from that point on, you know, my answer, at least at where I worked, 
uh, you had to uh, be um, assessed for eligibility and then you will be assigned an appointment and then you'll be assigned a case manager. Yes. Like you said also before, it's not only for families, even though our podcast is focused on families, anybody can get these services. So I don't want people to feel like when they listen to this podcast, yes, we focus on families. Most time people don't realize how much homeless families are in New York City because most of us are tucked away. Well, not I'm not in the shelter anymore, but we are tucked away and we're not seen as much because of we're in shelter. People, people think of homelessness in New York City, think of street homelessness, majority, or people who live on the subways. So I guess it's still considered a street, but it's in the subway. But um, but yeah, so if you're a person who's listening or know somebody who's homeless, who's out there, you want to give people information, they can come to home base to get help, whether they're family, a family person or a regular person. And another thing I want to say, before the Rona, <laughs> as we all know, we've been in this for a while now, Home base because it's funded. Their money, majority. I think I don't know if all of it comes from HRA or just some of it. I think all of it does. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Yes, um, and and each um, obviously each uh, organization that sponsors HRA or administers HRA, different nonprofits. Um, I'm pretty sure I receive other funding for different pilot programs, but it's yeah, it's an HRA created and funded program. Thank you. If you know HRA, anything about HRA. Most things take about, unless you get an emergency food scale, that's the only thing we'll probably get you in a couple of days. Everything takes about 30 days or more. That's before Corona. Now things are taking even longer. For example, I gave my food stamp stuff in about June or I want to say May of this year. I just found out yesterday that I'm going to be cut off when I get the paperwork in months ago. So things are really backed up because they're... um. They have less people working. And usually don't take that long for them to get the food stamp stuff together because their lack of staff, lack of certain things, things are taking longer. I know somebody else who had their, um doing their ERAP paperwork. It took them eight months to get it. So one thing with these services, they're wonderful to have when you get them, but it's going to be, it's going to take a long time to get them. It's not going to be an overnight thing. I'm sorry to tell you that it's not going to be an overnight fix. And with everything going on right now in society and in the world today, it's just not going to be a, fa a fast track to anything. But when you get the help, you get the help. I can say they helped me with arrears before. I've got help with furniture. So the program does work. You just have to have patience, the time. And patience is really the thing. And stay on your worker's neck to really get the things. If you think everything else should be done, keep calling. It might be exhausting, but keep calling um, to get help. But yes. So I got that out the way, guys. <laughs> so why are you a supervisor? What's like the kind of cases you saw mostly come in? I know everybody's coming in for like housing problems and things mm -hmm. like that. But what did you see and what population you think, in your opinion, it had been was most affected by these things? And we know the stats in, in shelter, but mm -hmm. probably for a home base, it might be different. It might be the same. I don't know. You're going to tell me. Oh, uh, yeah. Absolutely. Great question. Uh, just uh, from what you were mentioning before about uh, adults that we that are also served by home base, this is a perfect example. Uh, an adult family can often have, oftentimes have a 19-year-old and a 21-year-old, both in college, right, in housing crisis. So these two young adults are only a couple of years away removed from childhood, from the teenage years. And these families are also in need of assistance. So these are also families that home base assists, right? I Many times I saw 
families have to having to make choices as far as um, pondering, deciding between their children continue going to college or getting into the workforce. So um, that's very important. Now at home base, specifically in Brownsville, uh, Brownsville has a, a one of the highest number of public housing in the United States. So uh, the population was uh, mostly African-American, uh, many from the Caribbean, uh, and I would say a small percentage of Latino families. Um, again, but they all have the same, you know, issues. Um, number one, the lack of uh, public infrastructure in Brownsville, um, issues at NYCHA, right? Lack of repairs, lack of uh, assistance, um, delays with um, complaints, uh, just the probable situation with certain apartments. Um, same with uh, apartments, houses that were in bad condition, issues with landlords. Um, I saw a, a number of things at, at Brownsville that it was really, um, for someone who came from another, from Queens um, and from a different background, it was really shocking. Uh, it basically, it was heartbreaking at times to see the, the struggles of families, of individuals, and families mostly led by, by, by women of color. Um, it was just heartbreaking for me as a supervisor to tell a family that they did not qualify for a service for rules that right now, as you know, as a policy associate um, and working at CCC, we're trying to help remove. Um, uh, for instance, um, a family that wanted to relocate with a voucher because of a domestic violence. Different, multiple barriers prevent these families, right, from relocating. Um, HRA oftentimes requests number of documents, um, appointments with uh, domestic violence providers, and this only delays um, services, their relocation. Um, Another issue that I found also at Brownsville Home Base with Families is, uh, like, I believe this is the most, especially during COVID, the most pressing need was rental arrears, the disruption of um, subsidies. And as you were mentioning before, everything in social services uh, takes times. And just like social services providers, HRAs also short staff. So families will fall into rental arrears because the subsidy was, uh, the paperwork was not submit, was not processed in time. Um, and the families will fall into rental arrears. This, you know, discord with landlords when the families in fact provided the documentation but it's taking longer. So part of uh, our work was to contact HRA, advocate with HRA, uh, become the liaison, the connection between the city and, this, and the neighborhood. Um, so this is, yeah, it was mostly rental arrears, aftercare for aftercare services with uh, many families would move into NYCHA or into the community. Um, they received, the, for families who had a cash uh, assistance case, they would receive 
small grant for furniture, but this was not enough. Um, oftentimes, the grant uh, was, a, let's, say, let's say, a family of three or four, $1,200. You can probably get a bed or two and some kitchen appliances. But after that, um, you know, I often saw families sleeping on floors. And that's what home base will come through and assist families with furniture assistance, beds, uh, dressers, dining room, uh, dining tables, you know, to give families a start. That's what aftercare services are for. Um, we had that those, those services with aftercare. Oftentimes, uh, during specific times, we had gift cards to, you know, help our families. And one, I, I, I hold great memories, you know, for being able to assist families. And some, sometimes I was, it was very hard. But one of the most fun memories that I had, I remember there was a, a hardworking mom with a, a child in junior high, another daughter graduated from high school, looking forward to going to college. And she just could not afford certain things. And fortunately, we had gift cards back then. This was about a year ago. And we provided her with a, with a gift card, a $100 gift card. And it was, it was so important. Many people think that $100 is not much, but to change to change someone's day, right? With this, she was able to, she told me, Mr. Diaz, thank you. I was able to celebrate my daughter's graduation. We bought a, we bought a cake, right? We, you know, I bought her, uh, I bought her dress. We had some food. It was fun. Those are memories and memories, especially for young people are great. So um, that is one of the reasons that home base is in the community. And that's one of the memories that I that I take that I, I took with me, and I I know that many families benefit from these services, and definitely from funding, um, which I think is very important. That uh, there should be additional funding for services like this at home base because it is a it is a great help in the community. And now I feel fortunate to be on the other side of policy, where based on my experience at home base and seeing the good, the positive things, and also was able to see the needs, both for funding and pro program implementation at home base. So um, yeah, these were the needs. And with adult families, I mostly saw issues with um, transfers. Many, many, many adults are transferred into the community to single rooms. And as you, you know, oftentimes after a year or two, they would have they wanted to move because of issues in the apartment and conflict with other tenants. People take so much little things for granted. Like you said, you gave the person a hundred dollars and they was able to get some other things and get a cake. Um, normal people who have who can afford it, you know, mm -hmm. they don't think of a cake as a big thing. But for a cake for a person's graduation or a birthday for a kid. That's mm -hmm. memories they keep forever. And when they don't have this on celebration days, they think about it like, and they overcompensate most times when they're adults because they never had certain things as children. And you have people as adults trying to almost do a over do over for a childhood they really can't do over for, you know? So people might think like, oh, I give out gift cards. Well, they, probably, they can't afford it. That's why they give out gift Absolutely. cards. Absolutely. And, and this was a, 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 a mother was, that was working full time. Right. Right. Full time. Uh, people oftentimes uh, they 
you know, even though it was an affordable housing or she had a subsidy, 30% of someone's income, um, if you take taxes off, right, yeah. uh, child care, and, and the person makes minimum wage, uh, you know, it's so difficult. I don't know. I admire these families that make it through. And to see that her daughter is graduating high school, looking forward to going to college, it was, it, I think it's disturbing. As a society, we have to look at these things and improve, you know, um, in, in this uh, type of funding. And I believe that gift cards are an excellent way to help emergencies because with gift cards, all you have to do is just call and um, oftentimes the gift cards are actually, you know, already ready to use, but you don't have to fill out applications. You don't have to complete paperwork, right? It's an easy way to solve emergency problems. Right. It's true. Definitely. I think it will help out a lot more families, especially if they're low income. And you could tell, like, it's just people just need to help. Mm -hmm. They're not going to be most time people are not down there forever. And they just need somebody to help them for now to, to get to the point that they need to get to to um, be the best people they can be. You know. And yeah. And uh, also, I, I forgot to mention when they had uh, their, elect their electricity was cut off. Their gas was cut off. Oftentimes, these gift cards, two, three hundred dollars in gift cards, will solve it immediately, as opposed to these families going to HRA requesting a one-shot deal, or even us assisting. It will take us a few days to cut it. So, gift cards, you know, can definitely resolve emergencies like this. That's definitely true. We need not like you know, we need water, we need light, those things yes. that you need to just uh, survive. You know, comfortably at least in your home. Because you want to take a bath, you want to see where you're going, you want to make sure you can cook your food. These are things and necessities, you know. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, yeah, home base um helps with those those services and things like that. Did you see a lot of domestic violence cases? I don't think to me when I think of home base, I don't think of domestic violence help. But mm -hmm. you did talk about like transfers and stuff like that. So do you guys help with domestic violence cases like that? Absolutely. We and. I not I don't have the statistics with me, but I did see an increase in domestic violence cases during the pandemic. Yeah, um, and um, it, it's 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 heartbreaking because domestic violence. Um, when we we oftentimes think that okay, we move the family away from the aggressor, we move the family away from the dangerous place. But we don't think that uh, for I'm going to give you a, a, a something, an example that I saw often. Oftentimes, the, perp the, the aggressor was also part of the, the subsidy, was also part of the case. Oh. And if it was a family of three or four, let's say if it was a family of three, if you remove this person from the case, yeah. then the voucher is no longer the same amount. It goes That's down. True. So the, now you, you, you see... Young mothers looking to move into a smaller apartment, right? Uh, right. So it's uh, it, and poli these policies are set in stone. Um, it's, the voucher is this amount for two, for three and four is a different amount. So I saw that. Other things I saw was, in order to be eligible for a transfer for domestic violence, you need a police report, right? Oftentimes, victims of domestic violence are afraid to go to the police, right? Right, and press charges. 
right? Um, so that was a you know, and when I and I would tell them, you know, I need a police report, they would not come back, right? They will not come back, and and so I I definitely think that we need there needs to be a different approach to assist families with uh, domestic violence, um, perhaps expediting their their uh, their assistance, their transfer, maintaining the same level of uh, rental assistance, regardless if the the household is reduced, right? Uh, and yeah, and I did see many of these cases in all general, um, also families ex escaping domestic violence from um, from Latin America, right? Yeah. Um, going into shelter. Um, so it was, it was, and then oftentimes when we think about families in, in, in shelter or in housing crisis, there's already a cycle, right? Many of these families experience this trauma as children right and there has to be more preventive services home base does provide financial counseling referrals but uh, i think just covid exacerbated made it worse because um many offices <laughs> many 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 providers offices were closed um working from home um and short staffed uh, so it's it was very it was very difficult but i do admire the resiliency um they taught me a lot um you know and i only have one child and and when i saw the uh, this this women just go through it and keep keep a good face i was really um inspired one thing when it, um the pandemic started i knew that domestic violence among spouses and among um, parents and children would definitely skyrocket it, which it did. I was talking about it on my YouTube channel. I'm like, this is going to make people go crazy. Because first of all, you say you love somebody, but when you ever stay too much around them, sometimes they get mm -hmm. nervous. Yes. So like my daughter, I say, go in your room, girl. I need space. Like, mm -hmm. I don't, you know, you don't get to the point where you have to like almost break a person's neck just to say, you know, you people, everybody needs their own space. Absolutely. You don't get, you don't get overwhelmed too much but some people can't cope with those kind of things they they have went through things when they was younger so they think it's okay to do that or um it's just to make them feel better that's what they do i don't know um so i don't know how they end up at this, that point but that's what happens and being stuck in a house when everybody else is like the world basically was shut down and basically mm -hmm. it was shut down and for them to be stuck in a, a, a confined space and most people in new york city the apartments are small Mm -hmm. Not like we live like in Florida or Atlanta, where yeah. it's more people go outside freely. If you live in Brooklyn where I live, there's buildings. People have 30 floors. And mm -hmm. apartments are small and it has a lot of people in that one apartment just to be able to afford the rent. Exactly. So and can you imagine that being in a prime space? It is like you surprised I'm surprised it wasn't more violent. <laughs> like <laughs> Yes, absolutely. And Kadisha, you just raised a, a, a great point about overcrowding and double occupancy that's another issue that it's not often talked about and this is a an issue so so severe at brownsville in similar areas right. uh, where oftentimes i you know we were open cases for um for mothers with children who were who were staying at their sister's 
at their cousins at their grandmother's apartments in NYCHA, right? Yeah. And at NYCHA, the 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 leaseholders are also at risk for tenancy, you know, violations, right. and and these delays, you know, with families trying to relocate and getting, for instance, whenever they went to PATH to get a, 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 a referral for city FEBS, it was nerve-wracking. I remember having clients, different stories, you know, like uh, so many stories of families trying to relocate. They were having issues with family members. Um, and, and it has to be just heartbreaking to know that you're no longer welcome in an apartment, right? The, and And children sense this. Children um you know do not have the space and what happens to education um you know uh when children have to be in a call in a zoom call or do homework noise these are different um you know really um difficult situations and what i what it's more concerning to me was that there many of these families had their vouchers there's the what we call shopping letters with them but they they were having issues you know income discrimination from landlords loan applications delays in applications um apartment inspections and it's nerve-wracking it's nerve-wracking because they 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 have a contact with a broker they're ready to sign the lease but yet all this red tape just delays and delays and you keep telling the leaseholder, I'm moving at the end of the month and something happens, it doesn't fall through. So it's, this is something I saw a lot in, in, in Brownsville, right. especially, especially at NYCHA. And, and as, as we, as we all know that some of the infrastructure conditions at NYCHA, you know, makes it a lot worse. Yes, it does. <laughs> yes, it does. It was a lot of things that you said, um, with the education of the kids and being in double up spacing, it can be a lot for a child. Kids need space. My daughter, before I did foster care, was the only kid in the house. She had the whole, she even had my room at this point, just to herself. And can you imagine if if I had other siblings in here with me who couldn't have, who, I don't want to see them on the street. I don't want to see them homeless. So it's like, I put them in because of my good heart. And I live in NYCHA. So mm -hmm. to have all a small space, my kid, if I had more siblings living in here, my mom, and the night I found out that I didn't put them on a lease, that's not the problem. My, mm -hmm. I wanted to get my mother to come in here, but um, she's somewhere else right now in Queens. But eventually, she got to move in with me because she's, you know, she's older. But the the night person told me, oh, she can't move, and I'm like, what if she's sick and had to wait to help her? Where she where mm -hmm. she's now? If she's sick and she's an old person and she's blood, I can give my birth certificate to show you that we're related. Mm -hmm. Why is there a problem? Now she come and live with me. She's my mom. Not like I'm talking about a boyfriend or friends to put in my house. I'm putting mm -hmm. a person who's a relative to me who birthed me in my house. They're very sticky. With Section 8 is the same thing. Um, so if you are on in these things, you know, night to Section 8, be careful. Even, you know, FEPS, CFEPS, be careful who's in your home with you, who's there on the lease or not. Because they do, because night you try to do the inspection, inspections, they try to come into your apartment because they they claim they have the right to whatever like that, and they want to see who's living here so they can make sure they, I guess, charging the right or make sure who's on the lease is on the lease. It's very kind of scary that like any minute, even though you're trying to help out your own family, you can lose, go back homeless again because you try to help out somebody else. And it's like it's not like I'm just bringing all these people. Most times the people who are doing this, 
our family members are doing this. So it's not just like random people or coworkers or something like that. It's family. And I feel like if it's a family relation, it shouldn't be a problem. But the city and the state doesn't see it like that. So who am I to say that it shouldn't be happening? But I think it's outrageous um, how they treat people. Because if it was if I owned my own house, it wouldn't matter who's in and out. But I guess because they're paying half of my rent, I have to go under so much strenuous rules. It's like the shelter. Mm -hmm. When you go in there, you have a curfew. Certain shelters, you can't bring pots and pans in. Because I know I used to be at the um, Canberra in the landing in Queens by LaGuardia. I was allowed to use pots and pans in there because they didn't have stoves. And you were allowed to bring in a hot pot. Now, a, a hot plate. Now they have stoves and stuff since, I guess, Corona. Because people, I guess, it was easier to do, you know, cooking your room or whatever. So they made it a suitable for them now. Before, you weren't allowed to do anything in your room like that. And mm -hmm. you have to go through metal detectors so they can see what's in your bag to make sure you didn't bring those things up. So it's just like the system. If you want to get anything free, <laughs> if you need help with anything, you have to pull teeth. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. So um, the whole yeah. system just needs a lot of help. Absolutely. Um, a, a lot of help, a lot of... And these are just um, policies and just some rules that need to be, like, soften it a little bit because hey. um, you were mentioning with your mom to move. I often saw cases where an elderly person, right, residing at NYCHA for years, needed assistance, help, and a child, you know, one of their child's moved into the apartment to help them, to assist them, to be with them, right? right. And they also needed a, a housing, so they moved in. Unfortunately, after this, um, you know, adults passed away or were moving to a um, nursing home, right? then these families were, you know, at risk, oftentimes uh, evicted from NYCHA. Um, yeah. It was, it, it's such a rigid, um, Um, structure that even if you if families would get legal assistance, the residency laws at NYCHA are very strict. Yeah. And even if families have proved that they've been there for years, they were paying rent on time. Um, still, families will get evicted because it's usually if you're not on the lease too. So I feel like if it's your, if it's like how I would bring my mother in, it's harder. But if it's like me. And I want to bring my kids in if I get older. I think it'll be easier. That's what it seems like. I'm not sure if that's true or not. But I feel like if it's your your kids who you actually had, and long you put them on the lease, and they have the accredited for them and have birth certificates and everything, I think it's better. It's easier to um not have a problem. Like God forbid I die and I'm God forbid I'm still here in the next 20 years. I would never want to be here that long. People they stay in nature. They love it. I don't. I don't know. It's just not for me. Um. And my daughter's here. As long as she's on the lease, she should be fine. Long they had her on the lease the whole time, and she was, you know, over, when she gets over eighteen, she put that she's working and doing. All this, she should be fine if we stay in here that long, you know. Mm -hmm. But I think a person who's coming in and is like, they unless your person's getting married to you, that's something like it's another easier way to get them in your apartment. If you get married to that person, I'm not saying go marry everybody, guys. But I'm just saying these are, I think, the easier ways than if it's like your parent, which I think if it's your parent, it shouldn't be a big deal. But in their eyes, it's a big ordeal. Um, but you know, it's just the whole system is just. I think what it is, the policies work for one thing, and when the way they work, they word it, go against something else. So it's like they have to fine tune a lot of mm -hmm. things to get it to to work 
the way it needs to work. And uh, that's yes. the weird thing about it. Yes, but I, I, I'm very hopeful because um, if we have to look at also, you know, the the potential changes that can be done after COVID because COVID left us, a, you know, number one, we have the ability to communicate, you know, remotely. And two, it has exposed right. many of these issues, right? right? And and like this great, you know, resource that we have with your podcast, it allows to bring these voices, bring these experiences, right? Expand policy. And it has created a window of opportunity to uh, bring some change. And change comes incrementally, right? right? <laughs> uh, and, if I think it that's the best way to go about it, just incrementally. Like right now, there's a big push to remove the 90 day um, stay yes. in shelters. Um, you know, multi different organizations are pushing for that. So that's also a good call. It will reduce the time of family spending in shelter. Um, so those are little wins uh, and, you know, keep on moving, bringing um, these issues to, to the forefront. And one thing at a time, creating change and creating voices, coalitions, right? Because I would think that multiple voices bring different changes right. and ideas. And um, yeah, just keep up the great work. If you don't know what he's talking about, so when you go into shelter, I, I want to mm -hmm. think it's all shelters. I'm not think I don't think it's only family shelters. I think it's all shelters. Whether you're in family, I want to say in youth, but I'm not sure. I'm not 100. percent But I believe in singles like men and women shelters, this happens, that when you get into the shelter, I can only say for PATH for sure. You might be know the other systems better than I do. Mm -hmm. When you go into the shelter, first you have to go through a preliminary thing like you in there for 10 days. And they say whether you're accepted or not. It's, it's a 10 to 14. It depends on what they, you know, what they do. And they tell you if you're accepted or not. And they say you're accepted, great. You wait 90 days from that day to be able to qualify for a voucher. They don't get nothing. They don't do nothing on the books for you. They might help you out with a NYCHA application. That's about it. But like getting FEPS, I mean, the city FEPS, you won't be be able to start the, the whole everything until those days are passed. But if you're denied, say if you're denied three or four times and then you approve on the fourth or fifth time, you, even though you was in shelter the whole time, they don't count the 90 days until you were approved into shelter, mm. which is ridiculous. Because you you was there the whole time. After example, three or four times, that's 10, 20, 30. That's already a month in shelter. That means you could have been a month into your 90 days. And most times people are usually denied off a of technicality. And then they oh, it could be, oh, I, I, you didn't have one thing for one month because you, you need two years of um saying that you were living at a certain address. It could be one thing like that. And a person who doesn't know the system that well, doesn't know that, but keep on getting denied. People at PATH is not explaining that to you properly. So you end up going back and back again, trying to do a fair hearing, doing this and that to get yourself in the system. By the time those 30 days are, bit, days are passed, you already lost so much time already and you're in the shelter, getting more depressed because you're in the shelter in the first place. So that's the 90 day rule he's talking about. I want to be, when you know we're talking about certain things, if people don't know anything about the system, mm -hmm. they might come across the you know the podcast like, what is this ninety day rule? But a lot of organizations now are pushing to get that out. Mm -hmm. It's like it's a waste because most times people get approved for it eventually, 
but nobody is working on their case because they wasn't approved. But people can get out of shelter faster if you even if they're not approved yet, but you know they're probably going to be approved. Just count those days they're in there initially, get everything started so you can, you know, get everything, the vouchers out to them much faster so families can get out into, you know, their homes much faster. So that's what he's talking about, the 90-day rule. So Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Kadisha, for um, um, you know, explaining what the ninety-day rule and I, it's um, it only adds to the family's um uh, struggles. You know, um, what happens with children uh, when they have to enroll in college while I'm sorry, in school while in shelter. Um, you know, school year just started. Families were not able to move during the summer. You know, what if they find an apartment and they move somewhere in November? Does it mean the children have to change? Um, you know, schools. Right. Um, it, it's, it's different, and same thing happens in the community, right? When families are looking to move because of lack of space, security, violence, domestic violence, um, issues with the apartment, and Oftentimes, I've noticed, too, that they will wait another year because yeah. the children started school. Um, and maybe next year they're not eligible anymore. So it it, it creates this cycle, right? It does. It, it's a, like a bubble that you, it, this happens, you come back, this happens, you come back. So um, I, there's got to be some mechanisms, some plans, and like I mentioned incrementally, to help people break this cycle. It's so true. So, as well, he said it way back in the beginning of the podcast, but if you remember, kind of go back in your mind that, but I think everybody should know this. The people who are in shelter the most are African-American and people who are Hispanic is the next highest and then mm -hmm. other is the, like the third, which other is really a small amount of people who are in the shelter. But as you know, I might, you know, I consider myself Afro-Caribbean, but um, I'm born here in America. But Juan represents the Latin. You know, is it Latinx? Is I, what's the proper? Because people have different words for. Yes, I'm fine with Latin. Yeah. Latin. So, yeah. um, background. So, what in that community can you speak to? What's happening in the? From what you have seen working at home base, and also seeing what might be happening in the shelter world right now. Or uh, okay. Uh, yes, thank you for bringing this topic. Well, um. I, I'm personally a formerly undocumented immigrant, so I I fully understand the struggles of many families, mixed status families, uh, like parents who are undocumented and children are born in the United States. Um, number one, the language, language barriers, both are shelter and um, in the community. Um, in the community, I noticed that uh, there's lack of uh, translation services at NYCHA. There's lack of uh, there's a lack of um, Spanish speaking assistance at HRA centers. A lot of confusion. Um, out even many families talked about discrimination uh, for both the language and their immigration status. So there's different definitely. Um, uh, I would say additional layers of barriers that these families faced and. As we all know, this has a big effect on their children's um, education, mental health, and just emotional instability. Um, 
I do applaud the fact that uh, families are eligible for FAPS, even though the, the, the parent might be undocumented, as long as they have a cash assistance case. The children, because of the children, they're eligible for FAPS. Um, same goes with uh, the city FAPS. Uh, but, you know, there are, you know, immigration policies is a, is a different topic, but now with the influx of families entering shelter uh, from the southern border, it just adds, um, you know, it adds the, 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 the need, the, stress, the, the need to have more supports, uh, more Spanish-speaking coordinators, um, social workers, um, shelter personnel, home-based personnel, HRA personnel, because ultimately, um, you know, if we put if we put immigration one side, let's say their parents are undocumented, children that are born in the United States are American citizens, and yeah. they do deserve uh, opportunities like like everyone else, right? Just yeah. give them that first step, that opportunity, a fair chance, right? After that, you know, every individual will you know, do what's best for them, but give out these children opportunities. Um, I was happy to help many of these families, but I I do see um, a big need and and a lack of, um, at least in this medium, you know, you know, people are able to communicate, but I do see that they don't have a voice. Um, I'm happy with some of the... Um, the work that the city is doing through the Commissioner of Immigrant Affairs, um, they, they do see some effort, but a lot more needs to be done. So I just want to be corrected. Um, when they have the cash assistance, it's through the kids, which I know that. Mm -hmm. But be clear that because the parents are not counted, because mm -hmm. if you don't know cash assistance, they count each person. And I think also, I'm not sure about the age, but I know they count each person on the thing where the parent is not included, but the kids are. Say if it's a three people in the household and the kids are, is a mom and two kids. They only count the kids. They're not counting the mom. So when they do the FEPS or the city FEPS, it's not going to be counted as it's three people in the household. It's only going to be counted as two people because only two people are citizens. Am I correct? Correct. And um, there's even cases, I saw many cases, where... One child has a social security number. An older child does not have one. And then the mother. So you have three, oftentimes four members in the household and only one had a social security number, which means that that cash case only receives cash assistance for one person, yeah. shelter allowance for one person, which is 215, if I'm not mistaken. And if it's FEPS, maximum rent for one person. So it it, it tells you the, the you know the, the the barriers that these families encounter. Same goes with NYCHA, right? right? Um, mixed status families are eligible for NYCHA. However, they have to pay a larger portion of rent. Oh wow! I didn't know that. Oh, you didn't know that? Yes. So I I, I remember a couple of cases where. Uh, the person, the the head of household was undocumented, and she has a, she had a child, and her portion was almost nine hundred dollars. What? Yes, even though she um, she couldn't report any income because she was undocumented, she worked off the books, 
um, she paid she paid almost nine hundred dollars. It's a it it's it's a section A federal law, um, that basically, it it in my opinion it's a it's a policy that deters family from um accessing um this type of subsidies because their their share of the rent is is it's much higher than thirty percent. That's crazy. I did not know they were doing that. That's outrageous. They do the same thing with um colleges though. If you're undocumented, they make you pay more in in tuition because of it. And the mm -hmm. tuition amount is crazy high. And the crazy thing to me is like if you really think about the history, not trying to get you know all in there, but America's America's America is built on immigrants. Like literally. Mm -hmm. America is built on immigrants. I feel like they should get a more break than anything else. But I feel like, honestly, we shouldn't have anything about borders. And I think that's not even should be a thing. I should think we should be able to roam free, go where we want to go, be happy where we want to be, but it's not how the world we work in. But I feel like it shouldn't be... It's not like people are coming into the country mm -hmm. and making it horrible. They're literally building you up because you, you don't know how to do it yourself. Like, I don't understand what the problem is, but... Yeah, and just to give you a... Uh, uh... A, a number that is shocking more than half of those small business owners in the city are immigrants right and uh, if you look into if you go into any community you know the laundromat you know the, the grocery stores, grocery stores mm -hmm. are owned by immigrants right? right and immigrants spend right brings taxes to the to the to the city to the state Exactly. Um, um, the city of New York, you know, provides a lot of taxes for the state, and these are immigrant families, um, immigrant workforce. Um, they bring diversity, different cultures, language. You know, I, uh, you know, when I was in Brownsville, I got to know so many new cultures. Uh, run really nice, really nice uh, cultures, families, food. Um, you name it, but there's a large disinvestment in these immigrant communities, right? Um, it makes sense to me because, but y'all even because if even if you don't have paperwork, you're undocumented, but you have a um, is a number TIN is I think Jamaica for Jamaica. Um, is another it's not a social security number, but it's another number you can have. You can pay taxes. Some people are undocumented are paying taxes, and people don't even think about that. They're paying taxes and they can't even get the stuff that we're getting. Like sometimes the stuff that we're, people who are citizens are, or residents are, can get, mm -hmm. which is crazy to me. If I'm sorry, if I was undocumented and I couldn't get some of the stuff, I'm not paying nobody's taxes. I'm sorry. It's not happening. I uh, yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, it's called is it IT number. I, yes, yeah. yes, it's the number I'm talking yes. about. Yes, and I remember when I was undocumented, I remember, you know, reporting taxes, right? And I knew that. I would not get any benefit uh, at all, but you know, many immigrants do pay taxes. They don't mm -hmm. qualify for um, child tax credit, right? Uh, they don't. Many. Oh, thank you for bringing this uh, to the conversation. What I also noticed in the Brownsville community um, during COVID is that many parents who were undocumented did not qualify for unemployment benefits, even though they were reporting um, taxes, right? right? They did not qualify for unemployment so, you know, benefits. And again, who 
who feels the brunt of this uh, the, this policies? American-born children. Right. Right. Um, you know, it, it's it's tough. It's tough. Uh, there's definitely need to be some changes in 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 not just housing because housing is the the big big part, right? Right. Within housing, there's all these overlapping, like labor, employment, childcare, food access, um, youth development. There's so all these overlapping factors, right? Housing is a big one, but we need to reinforce all these factors so that family have this instability. And I think unemployment benefits is one of them, at least at least at the city and state level, right? Um, right. federal level so it's, it's another um it's a much much complicated but at least at the federal level um you know extend benefits to mixed status families extend um i welcome the allocation of i believe it's about 10 million dollars in next in this year's budget for child care assistance for undocumented families right yes so important so parents can go go to work um and provide and um, there sure. you see the people who are working the hardest and getting paid the least because they don't even get paid minimum wage usually. They get mm-hmm. paid for that because they know people, they threaten, first of all, to call ICE on some people, which is crazy as it is. But they also know that nobody's going to care or they're not even going to report them to no mm-hmm. bureau or nowhere because they don't have paperwork. So they uh, take advantage of them. And yeah, they work and, the hardest and they give the most hours but pay them the least. And that's the crazy thing about it. Also. Yeah, and no, not only that, many immigrants work, don't even get paid the minimum wage. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. They work. They get. They will get paid weekly. You know. And if you break down the hours, you're like, hold it. You're making eight dollars an hour. Right. Like in the nineties or something. Yeah. Yeah, But they find, uh, you know, talking from an immigrant perspective, uh, those those issues actually create resiliency. Um, And you know, that's why New York is great. You know, because. It was built on immigrants. It's an immigrant city, and immigrants uh, find ways to make it happen. You know, that's my problem with New York, though. Like you say, it's great. Like New Jersey, New York, is the states would say. First of all, New York say um, we're a sh- shelter state. So if you if they say if you need shelter, come in it. But it give you so much ties up to even get into shelter. Yes or no, kind of thing. If you're gonna say we're open, just be open. Then we're gonna say. If you're a person who's undocumented, you're welcome here. But yet when you get here, you can't get a lot of things. So it's like, if you're going to say your arms are open, but yet your arms are still chained and you can't help, mm-hmm. what's going on? You need to make a little thing. If you're going to be an open state, I know federal stuff is not going to work. But by the city level, you need to make enough money for people who are coming in to be able to help them. Because, you know, at the end of the day, as you said before, most businesses like small businesses are owned by people who are immigrants. Obviously, they're not staying down. They're going to work until they get to the way they need to be to help out the community they're living in. So it's like, if you pour more into these people, they can be able to help your community much better. So I don't know. Absolutely, absolutely. But like um, like I mentioned earlier, it's now a good opportunity for advocates um, like you, uh, like many organizations that are at the forefront to bring these issues to the forefront, um, bring ideas, right? Uh, and bring resources and like this one, podcast, uh, Zoom calls, um, rallies, um, 
to bring some change, incremental, but some change. Yes. We also have City Hall Day. Um, City Hall? I think that's not what it's called. But it's something hall. I'll probably get the information down below for you guys. But um, it's a day that you can go to your representative for your state, I believe. It'll be down below. But you can go there and voice your opinions about certain things that's happening in your where you live. So that's going to be coming up September, I want to say 13th or 14th. Again, the information will be down below. And if you have anything that you feel like you should be speaking about, you do have to pre-register for this event. To go is on Zoom, is not in person. And you'll be able to do that with your representative. Do you have any last word for the people on the podcast? Um, yes, to families who are impacted, for families or individuals who want to see change, um, express your voices, sign up to rallies, um, going to be informed uh, is very important. Uh, also to, if you have a, a housing need or an emergency, reach out to home base. There is assistance. And as Kadisha mentioned, you have to be patient. Um, always have documentation ready, available. It is it's huge. Uh, always make sure that you have your, your social security card, ID, birth certificates. A lease is hugely important um, for rental arrears assistance, for any, any transfer, any type of that you need a lease, um, a current lease, um, pay stubs. Have always these handy, put them in a folder because if you run into a housing crisis, these are documentations that you're going to need. Um, and just keep doing the great work. Thank you. And make sure your name is on it. Because <laughs> if your <laughs> yeah. name is not on it, like if it was your mom's lease and you're just, you were there, that might not be a good look for you either. So, you know, try to get your name on the lease if you can, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And thank you so much for your invitation. Um, I am really impressed by the work uh, that you and other fellows are doing and always happy to to be part of this. Thank you. So, guys, we have come to the end of the Hear Our Voices podcast. I hope you reached this far into the podcast. We have so many events coming up for you. We have another panel coming in October. So, guys, listen out for those information. We'll be having the form in our description probably in September when you probably hear this, to be honest. Because right now we're at the end of August, if you don't know. So, go to follow us on all our platforms youtube facebook twitter and instagram we are on there constantly updating you with different information and if you are a person who wants to get interviewed on the podcast if you're a person with lived experience who was a family who was in a family it could be couch surfing it could be in a shelter in new york city base we would love to have you on the podcast if you're a person who worked in the system and who's here to change the system or if you know about any resources, just DM us or email us and we'll get back to you as soon as possible. Honestly, most times the same day because we're always on <laughs> the we're always on our phones or on the internet looking at our information. We have about four people five people on staff doing it. So we're pretty, you know, we're not that big yet. So we can really keep up with the emails and things like that. So guys, thank you for listening. See you later. Bye. <laughs>